have wandered into any of our services that are unsaved, we ask you, Lord, that today would be the day that they hear the gospel and believe in you for eternal life. Again, I ask you for your help, for Lord, I cannot do this without you. In Jesus' name, and amen. Isaiah chapter 50 is a wonderful, I keep saying that repeatedly. Well, Okay, Mike Klein, please pray for him. Uh, I keep saying Isaiah, when we start studying Isaiah, Isaiah, this is a, a great chapter, great chapter, great chapter, and they're all great. And as we're leading up, we've made a turn in the Scriptures. Now it's more geared towards Christ. Now that we're in Isaiah chapter 50, 51, 52, 53, it's all revolving around the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read in verse 1, Isaiah chapter 50, and uh, we'll get into our study. Thus says the Lord. Now remember, Isaiah is recording this prophecy 150 years before it happens. This is phenomenal. Because what I want you to see tonight is that God is just. Which means that whatever he does is right. Even when he judges someone, it's right. Now, we take that for granted sometimes because haven't we seen someone who might be going through the judgment of God and in the midst of the judgment of God, they might cry out and say, you know, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Well, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times they, they are going through what they're going through because of their sin. And that is what God is going to say. Look at verse 1. Thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of your mother's divorce? Now, he is no longer talking to Zion. He's now talking to the children, the children, the next generation. And they're saying, you know, if you, you say that you chose us and you say that we're your chosen people, yet you've put us away, you've abandoned us, is what he's saying. And God says to them, Show me the writ of divorcement. Show me the divorce paper. Show me the certificate where I've divorced you. They, he hasn't. Now, you know, of course, he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24 when Moses permitted the men to put away their wife and give them a bill or a writ of divorcement. So they say, you've abandoned us, God. Where is the certificate of your mother's divorce, God says? Show it to me. Of course, they can't. Whom have I put away, or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? You've sold our children into slavery. You have abandoned us. You made us a promise, and you did not keep the promise. To which God says, which one of my creditors? God doesn't owe anyone. That's an obvious rhetorical question. Notice what he says next. For your iniquities... You have sold yourselves. Because of your sin, you've done this to yourself. This day that we live in, in this victim mentality, nobody wants accountability. Nobody wants to, to own up to their sin. Nobody wants to be personally accountable for their sin. It's always someone else's fault. Always. And God says, don't blame me. It's you. It's you. See, here's juxtaposed is God's righteous and man is unrighteous. 
And no matter what man does in his unrighteousness, no matter how good he is, no matter how many Bible verses he can quote, no matter how, <clears throat> how many times he sings songs and reads the Bible and all that, in all of his unrighteousness, he will never be righteous. Man will never be righteous. That's why when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. We have the righteousness of Christ, not our own. Not our own. And he says, and for your transgressions, your mother has been put away. God says, it's not my doings, it's your doings. Now, this is remarkable because God is telling them 150 years before this would happen, and God's going to tell them exactly how they'll respond 150 years into the future. That amazes me. Right to the T. And these people would act like, look, you know... <clears throat> God, you say that we're your chosen people, but you have abandoned us. You sold us into slavery. The Babylonians come and they took over us. And they took us into captivity. And God says, you did it. You did it. God didn't make them chase false gods. God didn't force them to idolatry. God did none of that. And it's amazing to me in humanity, in our unrighteousness, when things don't go our way, we immediately turn and blame God. Now, again, let me be clear. Not all sickness, not all problems come from uh, disobedience or, or sin. Sometimes we're going through a test, a trial. But in this specific case, they wandered away from God. They practiced idolatry. And then they blame God for the consequences. Does that not sound familiar today? It surely does. Notice what he says in verse 2. Why when I came was there no man? Why was there no one to stand in the gap? Why was there no one to call the nation back to repentance? Why when I called was there none to answer? And if you're going to understand something, and this whole text is about God, and juxtaposed is His righteousness and our unrighteousness, and if we're going to understand anything, we have to know that God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God is not limited by anything. Notice what he says, Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Well, obviously, no, His hand's not shortened. And yes, he can redeem. Or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke, I dry up the sea. You tell me one person who can dry, dry up the sea. You tell me one person who can take the sea and part it and cause it to stand up and the, allow the nation of Israel to walk through on dry ground. As a matter of fact, you tell me one person that can say, I want the Indian Ocean to stop here, I want the Pacific Ocean to stop here, and I want the Atlantic Ocean to stop here. You tell me one person. We can't even change the flow of a creek. He's not limited. God is sovereign. And see, here's this, this argument uh, that we go back and forth with. You know why you act the way you do? You know why I act the way I do? Because we're unrighteous. We're unrighteous. We were born sinners. I didn't set my son down and say, Now, son, this is how you lie. 
He knew how to do it. Why? Because sinners sin. Sinners sin. And so the whole argument is this. These people were rebellious people. They were stiff-necked. They refused God. They worshipped their own little religions. They had their own little groups of people, their own religious groups, and they had their own little statues and idols that they worshipped. And when God in His justness, when God in His righteousness determined it was time to judge the nation of Israel, they looked at God and said, why are you doing this to us? And God says, I'm not doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. In this day and age we live in, people are aloof to consequences. They do something and then they're like, well, how did that happen? Well, you know, if you touch a hot stove, you're going to be burned. Yet, we want to go back and we want to argue over all this stuff. And they are ignoring the justness of God. See, what you think about God frames everything about you. And just like the nation of Israel today in our land, we are humanizing God. He's our buddy. And we're deifying man. I mean, I was watching a thing one time, and it was on TV, and it was uh, some kind of documentary, and uh, Garth Brooks was singing, and the woman said, I touched his boot. Oh, I touched his boot. He drips sweat on me. That's gross. Why are you bragging about that? See, we have stupid stuff like that going on in our land. And we forget about the sovereignty of God. He said, I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink because there's no water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness. And I make sackcloth their covering. So... What I want you to see more than anything is God is just, even in His judgment, especially in His judgment, God is just. It's one of His attributes that we talk about. And uh, incidentally, I would say this. There's this, keep in mind, because all through this text, righteous and unrighteous. Righteous and unrighteous. God is righteous, we are unrighteous. So now... God is going to show that He is just in His merciful Savior. Some people tell me, Jesus is not in the Old Testament. What Old Testament are you reading? Look at verse 4. The Lord God has given me, now Jesus is speaking. The servant, remember last week, the servant? Jesus is now speaking. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary He awakens me by morning. He awakens my ear to the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear. Remember, I don't know if you remember, it's not bad. Back earlier on in the Old Testament, there were laws. And there were laws for slaves. If you had a slave, every six years, after the sixth year or seventh year, the slave had to have an opportunity to be set free. If the slave determined that he wanted to stay with his master, he loved his master, he wanted to stay with him, he would take his ear, put it on the doorpost, they would take an awl, and they would punch out the awl, the ear. They did that as a sign of surrender that I want to stay with my master. Jesus is saying, my ear is opened. He put his awl to the Father... And his all, he opened his ear. Notice what he says. 
and I was not rebellious. Now watch this. God has moved from his righteousness and our unrighteousness. Now he's talking Jesus' righteousness and our unrighteousness. Jesus' righteousness is the righteousness of God. Again, here's these two pictures. Now watch what he's saying. The Lord says, I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me. This was volunteer surrender, voluntarily surrendering himself. No one forced him. Jesus Christ said, I gave my back to those who struck me. I love it when Jesus is talking with Pilate. And Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to set you free? And Jesus says, you don't have the power over me. It's not given to you from the Father. He said, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. Interestingly enough, do you know that nowhere in the New Testament does it say that Jesus' beard was plucked? But we find here in the Old Testament it was. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a beard. And it is painful. Can you imagine what Jesus Christ went through when he presented his back to them and they took the cat of nine tails that would have glass, it would have bone fragments, it would have metal shards, and they would rear back and on strips of leather and they, with all the force they had, pull it into the back and rip the flesh off the back. He did that for us, righteous for the unrighteous. He had his beard plucked from his face. He said, I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. They spit in his face. And Jesus did all of that for the unrighteous. He's the righteous for the unrighteous. You know what he's telling the nation of Israel? He's telling them that their future hope is in Jesus Christ. 150 years before this prophecy even comes true, not about, the Christ, not about Christ, but earlier on, when they would go into Babylonian captivity, they would come out of captivity, be delivered by Cyrus, and then they would complain about what happened in captivity and how God was supposed to take care of them, and God abandoned them. And God says, I'm looking beyond that. I want to show you my mercy. I want to show you way off into the future. Jesus Christ is going to come, God, in the flesh. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be beaten. He's going to have his flesh ripped from his back. He's going to have to be spit upon. He is going through all of this, the righteous for the unrighteous, because God is merciful. It's an attribute. God does not do mercy. God is merciful merciful. And you see, we have no concept of God. In the day that we live in, we've got this Americanized modern Christianity where we think of all this and we think of church as these steps. We come in, we do this, we sing this, we do that, and this, and we have an altar and we go home and we've done our thing. God is so much more than that. Do you know that if you really study out His name And when he says that his name is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess, we've lost our reverence and our fear for God because we don't know him. We don't know his attributes. We know Christianese, but we don't know God. And we don't care. And it's interesting to me that God has to come back and say, Now listen, I'm just. And if you want to behave in a way that is disobedient towards me, and you want to walk away from me, there are going to be consequences. And when you face those consequences, you're going to look at me and say, God, you've abandoned me. 
but no, God hasn't abandoned you. You brought it on yourself. But I want to show you how much I love you, and I want to show you mercy. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for you. The righteous for the unrighteous. Verse 7. God is just in Christ's death. He's just, he is just in Christ's death, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Those who reject Christ, this is the whole argument here. He is, he is just in justifying Christ and dying on the cross for us. He is just in that. And there will be those who stand in opposition to Christ's death. Oh, they'll promote religious things. They'll do all this. And listen, you can tell. You can tell when a pastor or preacher stands, if he preaches more about himself or he preaches more about different things and all this stuff and blah, 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 and all this, all this other stuff that's nothing more than shallow religion or if he preaches Christ. You can tell the difference. And listen, those who reject Christ, they will grow old like a garment. A moth will eat them up. You, when a moth eats a sweater, it's over. There's, you, you get a big hole in the sweater, you can't fix the sweater. You might patch it, but it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the way it was. So think about this. God is just. And that God would even have to vindicate himself. But when he wrote this, 150 years after Isaiah speaks it, they go into Babylonian captivity, they get released. You know the story. They come out, they begin to talk about God and how God was supposed to do this to our family and our ancestors, and, and he didn't do it. He, didn't, he, was, he turned his back on us and yada, 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 all that other garbage God says, listen, it all boils down to this. There are two choices. There are two choices. Choice number one, verse 10, who among you fears the Lord? The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The Bible says the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Jesus. Who walks in the darkness and has no light? Here it is. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Choice number one, you can trust and stay upon the Lord. Israel, if you want to keep chasing those idols and you want to keep putting things between you and God, you go right ahead. 
But those of you who fears the Lord, those who will obey the voice of the Lord, those, remember what he said, my sheep hear my voice. Those who trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. That's the first choice. That's life. And not just life, but it's abundant life. Not just abundant life, it's eternal life. And what God is telling for the nation of Israel is what He's telling all of us. It's always been about faith. It's always been about trusting. It's not about the ceremonial laws. It's not about the sacrifices of the animals. It's not about any of that. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ. Choice one. Choice two. Verse 11. Look all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, who walk in the light of your own fire, in the sparks you have kindled. Righteous, unrighteous. All through the text. Here's the choice. Choice number one, you can receive Christ's righteousness, the righteousness of God in Christ, or you can walk by the light of your own fire, trusting in yourself, being self-centered, doing what you want to do, and then when the consequences come, you blame God. And look how this ends. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Those who walk by the light of their own fire, those who trust in themselves, those who reject belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will lie down in torment. The unrighteous. See, God is just. Even back in Isaiah, before the New Testament was even written, God is revealing His plan throughout the ages of salvation. Listen to me. Salvation is righteous for the unrighteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have this exchange. Those of us who believe in Him and trust in Him, we receive His righteousness applied to us then when god looks out of heaven and sees us he doesn't see you in all of your unrighteousness he sees you through the lens of the blood of christ and all of christ's righteousness that's a wonderful thought because it's only by faith i'm not walking in the light of my own fire you hear people all the time pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. And, and I, I've heard people talk about different religions, you know, well, you've you got to do this, that, and that, and this, and that, and that to be saved. That is not true. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And when you are, you have His righteousness applied to you. And God is just in this. And He is showing the nation of Israel, look, that generation that, that died, that generation that was disobedient, you know, when they were out in the wilderness for 40 years and they wandered around, they lost a whole generation because they complained and they didn't trust God. They were walking by the light of their own fire. They didn't have to do that. 
And God is saying, listen, the righteous for the unrighteous. God is righteous and we deserve, we deserve hell. We deserve to die and go to hell. But Jesus Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. And he's telling through, through the prophet that God is just. Even in, especially in his judgment, he's still just. And God is just when he judged our sins upon Christ so that we don't have to be judged for it. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I am thankful. And I, I have had periods in my life when I've been like the nation of Israel. When I've allowed things to come between myself and Christ. I will tell you this. There's nothing more important on the face of this earth than your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. More than my standing up here and preaching is my relationship with Jesus Christ. More than when the praise team sings, more than them singing, more important than them singing is their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we look at the nation of Israel and we say, well, we would never bow down. People today would never bow down before idols. and Yes, they do. I don't get it, but they bow before some short, fat, bald guy named Buddha, and they pray and offer up the stuff to cows, and they do all kinds of crazy stuff in the name of religion. Let me ask you a question. Is there ever a time in your life when you allow something between your relationship and Christ? You've got to be careful because if you allow something to come before Christ in your life, that can become an idol. Anything you give more affection, more attention more devotion to than you give to Christ has become an idol. And I will tell you this. There are, more, there are some men and women who are more con- committed to the, uh, a, a professional sports team than they are the Lord Jesus Christ. So when God tells the nation of Israel, it's not some removed, distant argument for us. God is saying, listen, I'm not abandoning you. But your sin will have consequences. When we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, we believers, we will not be judged for our sin. That's already taken care of on the cross. You're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you sin today, you will be judged in your sins. God will chasten you. That happens while you're still alive. And there is the sin unto death. If you sin and continually sin and you refuse to accept the wooing of the Holy Spirit to confess and repent of those sins, the Bible says there is a sin unto death where He can just take you home. Now, I know we all want to go to heaven, but most people I talk to don't want to go right now. We want to live our lives and be with our families and, and, and so on and so forth. The problem with the nation of Israel was this. They elevated the unrighteous above the righteous. The problem with America's Americans in 2023, we are elevating unrighteous above righteous. We've got things discombobulated. We need to invert that. We need to make sure 
that the righteous is elevated above the unrighteous. He is just. And the whole argument in this text is he is showing us how much he loves us, how merciful, how sovereign, how powerful he is, how just he is by accepting the death of Jesus Christ, the righteous, for us, the unrighteous. And because we believe in him, we have eternal life. We don't have to worry about hell. We don't have to worry about death. We don't have to worry about any of that because of him. It's not a surprise. It's not a secret. It fits perfectly. The nation of Israel could not see that God was just. I mean, he feeds them manna from heaven. And after a few days, they complain about it, just like we would. And all through that cyclical behavior of the nation of Israel, they would have God's favor on them. They would move away into idolatry. God would bring judgment on them. They would repent in their sorrow and start all over again. Just start that cycle all through the nation of Israel. And we perhaps do it in our lives as well. But God records eternally in the word that he is just, he is sovereign, he is merciful, and he is Savior. The whole point of this argument is Israel, just like us, has no hope apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We need His righteousness, not ours. And I am so thankful, so thankful that He died on the cross for my sins. I did not deserve it. I do not deserve it. But I'm so glad He did. Don't walk in the light of your own fire. Trust in the Lord. Stay upon Him. Remember Isaiah 26.3 all the way back several weeks ago? I, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in me. Stay your mind upon him. You will not be sorry. Amen? All right, let's bow for a prayer. Father, we